I hope in some way the, the confession of faith was an encouragement to you. It was great to hear all those voices speaking it up here to the front that uh, we come rightly. The right way to come to God is to say, our father, our daddy. That's the right way. That's it. And then to continue on and, and, and bathe in that, and then you get to the requests that people rightly know you, that people rightly praise you, that people rightly sing to you and experience your goodness and justice and mercy. And then the, the second request is that, Father, by your word and love, help us to submit our lives to you, our church to you, our everything to you. And that brings us to the Gospel of Matthew, and that brings us to Jesus. Jesus, in this particular story of his life, we are told by Matthew that uh, the former tax collector, so we have Zacchaeus and we have Matthew, that uh, his name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then you Read about God with us for 28 chapters. This is God with us in full humanity, in full godness. And at the end of Matthew, Jesus says to us, I am with you. I am an Emmanuel. So go out there into the world. Go out there to Southeast Asia or go across broad or somewhere in between, and tell people about me and bring them in so that I may know them and love them and shape their life. And I will be doing this, and I will be speaking, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. And that's Matthew. So if you ever get a presbytery exam, you've got it. You're ready and prepared uh, Jesus is saying throughout Matthew, I am the Old Testament. I am everything that a good king or a prophet or a priest needs to be. I am the fulfillment of that mag magnificent promise, that, that promise that shapes all of history back in Genesis 3, where God is speaking to the serpent, and Adam and Eve are listening, and God says, I am going to send someone the seed of that woman right there. And they are going to crush you, though you will bruise them. That seed is going to crush you. And Jesus is saying, I'm the crusher. I am bruised on the cross, but I am still Emmanuel in the resurrection. So that's Matthew. Now we get to Matthew chapter 9 starting with verse 32, and Jesus is at work. Let's join him. As Jesus and his disciples were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never has anything like this been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. 
And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Well, let's pray to him now. Father, thank you for gathering us here today. Thank you that we get a a taste of heaven today. There is this world to come that Jesus, you are going to bring and establish. And one day the trumpet will sound. One day you will descend. And we will be caught up with you. And we shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And everything will be right. And your kingdom will be on earth as it is in heaven. That is not apparently today, at least it's not up until 11.15 Sunday morning. So your kingdom is coming into this world through Matt and Bettina's, through servant girl, maybe somebody who's been captured by a terrorist, maybe as a father or a mother bends down and prays with their child before they go to sleep and and, and, in committing that child to you or committing a captor to you or committing a demon-possessed person to you. Thank you that we can come to you and unload on you and that you will take it and you will work in it and you will be, be kind through it all. So, so speak to us, Lord. Send us out. Help us to say honestly at some level, where you lead, we will go as a church, as a family, as an individual. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love, I love the little passage that Rob Heron, our youth pastor, read for us early this morning because it sounds a little eerily familiar uh, from that part of the world where people are taking captive all the time. And, you know, I have this, I have this category in my head of what it would look like for God to send out laborers into the harvest field. I, don't, I didn't have a category for her. But there she is. Some, some raid into Israel and somebody forgot her or she got lost in the running around of the, of the people and the horses and the shouts and maybe it was in the dark and somehow she's thoroughly taken away from home and family and God. And she's brought in chains or tied up or she's a prisoner alone into Syria and she's put into the household of this great guy 
uh, Naaman and, 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 and is added to the staff. And there's, particularly she's with Naaman's wife. And, and this, this, I like this passage also because it helps us see people, as Rob said. I really have a struggle seeing people for who they are. Thankfully, Jesus does not have this struggle. The servant girl did not have this struggle. Now, the only time I've really been captured is in Capture the Flag or something like that. So, I don't, and, it's, and I don't mean to be silly about it, it's, it's, it's one of the most, it's got to be one of the most dehumanizing experiences that, 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 that a man or woman can have. And when you're in a dehumanizing experience, like when somebody lies to you, or when you lie to somebody else, and so on, we're, we're less human. We're shaped, grotesquely shaped, and we, we shape people grotesquely. So she's captured, and there's Naaman going out with his medals, weapons, tremendous house, servants everywhere. All the servants are fixed on the master. They're fixed on, um, they're fixed on Naaman's wife. And when they speak, you move. So leprosy is another one of those dehumanizing experiences. Like cancer would be a dehumanizing experience. And with all of his greatness, he can't overcome that one. You're dead. You're dead and you're unclean, and so forth. So the servant girl, and you can imagine, she learns about his condition, or she sees it, learns about it, and has gained the ear of Naaman's wife. Now, instead of a voice saying, good, or he deserves it, or he led the raid that got me here in the first place, and I hate him, and I hope he has the worst case of leprosy in the history of humanity, or any of those things any of those voices in her head, she knew there was a man back home, a prophet, uh, someone who speaks for God, and and his, his, his messages have been validated because God shows up as he speaks, and he's a healer, and it's Elijah, I think. Is it Elijah or Elisha? It's Elisha. Shame on me. Elisha, I think. Anyway, And so she puts out the good news to Naaman through Naaman's wife. She spoke into his his suffering. Because first and foremost, she's she's a child of God. And she's on mission as God's child, even though she is a captive. And maybe she stayed that way the rest of her life. But one thing is certain about Naaman he experienced what, what we're told in the Bible that God does above and beyond all we can ask or imagine. Naaman sure did. Not only was he cleared of leprosy, I think he was converted. He brought back the gospel to Assyria. Now, when I, as I've thought about this passage, it's not been one of my favorite passages. I grew up in the PCA. And when I heard about a missionary sermon, I mean, Bettina and Matt shaped a, a great deal of what we wanted to do this morning. And I thought, oh, well, it might, well, I won't tell that story. 
So, uh, I mean, it was just the time. It was kind of the Sunday not to go to church in some ways if a missionary was speaking. It's crazy. It's a voice. And, and thanks to Birdman, I can come out and say, I have voices in my head. Voices in my head. And, I, you know, if you haven't seen this movie yet, that's too bad. You should have seen it. It's an Academy Award winner. And I'm going to spoil it. Too bad. You know, you, you, you were slow. But I, and it's, it, is not, it is not a kind and gentle word, okay? It's, it's, it's not, even though I have a faint heart, it's not for the faint of heart. It is R. It is an R-rated movie. It's a disclaimer. But I will tell you, my take on this movie is it talks about voices in our heads. And all of us have them. It's part of being human. Adam and Eve had a voice in their head. Three words. I love you, you image of me. Go out and make little images. Go out and, and, and subdue this world. Eden is the launch pad to go into the world. I'm with you. And then another voice came into their head that brought sin and death, and here we are today. So in Birdman, you have this guy, and he used to be a superhero called Birdman. Michael Keaton, who was Batman, it would, it would, and, and, and so he's trying to resurrect his career. And he's using a, a play in which he directs, in which he stars to do that. Well, as opening night is drawing near on Broadway, which if, if you're not a Christian, that's got to be one of the, just the most exhilarating experiences and terrifying experiences in life. And if you're going to get out there in the world and in a worldly way, be something, then, then if you make it to Broadway, you, you know, that's your benediction, that's your sacrament, that's, that's your God. So, throughout the movie, this guy is speaking. This guy is hearing voices all the time. On the front cover of your bulletin is a conversation between Regan, that's, that's Michael Keaton character, and Sam is his daughter. And so turn and look at that real quick. And they're arguing. There's all this arguing in the movie. And Regan says, listen to me, I'm trying to do something important. And this is his daughter. This is not important. This is not important. It's important to me, all right? Maybe not to you or your cynical friends whose only ambition is to go viral. But to me, to me, this is God. This is my career. This is my chance to do some work that actually means something. Now, you can read, I mean, I'm not trying out for the part. I'm not going to read the rest of this. But it, I just about fell out of my chair at that point when, when Michael Keaton said to me, this is God. Jesus goes throughout the cities and the villages and he is healing people. He is teaching about the good news that I am God with you. I am bringing tastes of the new earth through, through rescuing, rescuing people from their sin, from diseases, from demonic oppression. And he sees the crowds. And he has compassion for them. And I will submit to you that every single one of us on this planet 
in some way embodies this line from Birdman. And this is just, this is just one of the voices. This is his voice. And his daughter saying, you're not important. This is, this is junk. You're trying to please a thousand white people who only, they only, the only thing they care about after your play is where to get cake and coffee when it's done. And she's just putting bullets into his God dream. And I think that's every one of us. It is a struggle to see people for who they are. And this is just part of the beauty of God bringing us together. This is a time where all of us are brought into a taste of heaven and we get to experience the voice of heaven. We get a voice coming to us that is real, that is reality, that is truth. Thank God it's not on me. It's upon the Trinity, who are always talking together and love one another, to stick it in your soul and to stick it into my soul. This is reality. Not what your dad or didn't or did say. Not what your fifth grade teacher said about you in front of everybody else that still is that kernel of sh- a seed of shame that has grown up into who knows what. It's not what your, your wife did or didn't do. It's not, it's, it's not your boss. It's not getting funded. It's not your PhD. It's me. I'm speaking to you, and this is reality. And everything in this passage, you can hang your life on it. We can hang our life as a church on this. We can hang our lives as individuals on this, on this passage right here. Because it just, just whams through all of humanity, all over the world, all the time. We get to live, what a privilege to live in the state of Georgia, in Athens, Georgia where there are crowds all the time. And, 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 and we get to experience two of the greatest athletic, dramatic portrayals in all of history. We have Sanford Stadium, where 95,000 people scream their guts out Saturday after Saturday. We have, that's East, Augusta National, the Masters coming up in just a month. Can't wait. There's just, people are dying to get into these venues. But what do you see? I have been, I I mean, I have been spending part of my life with this passage this week. And I'm a campus minister on top of that. And I work at the University of Georgia. And I have a bus, we have a bus stop next to our house, the North-South bus stop. I get on North-South bus stop, people. Get on the bus, there are people. Ride the bus, get off at Tate, more people. Class has changed. It's like being in Tokyo for me all over again. And I mean, sometimes when classes change, you feel like you need, like in some stations in Japan, they actually have like ex um, sumo wrestlers who just, you know, are great linebackers and just put, or offensive linemen, they just push so that you can get crammed into that car. And that, you know, isn't that true, guys? I've got some friends down here from Japan. I mean, it's just incredible. But even during this past week, I had to keep saying, God, help me. I just see people. I get on the bus. I don't see anybody I know. I'm like, okay, well, who wrote me an email? And what's on Facebook? And I'm just like, these are people. They are harassed. They are harassed. Do you know what that word means in Greek? 
I didn't know what it meant in Greek. So I looked it up in my little app when I wasn't thinking about the people who around me who are like sheep without a shepherd. When you look up the word harassed, it's, it's, it's even worse in the Greek. It means to be flayed, F-L-A-Y-E-D. And if you don't know what that means, there are a lot of people who do. There are a lot of people who day, today who do. It means to be skinned. It means to have the, your, 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 your skin taken off. And not by plastic surgeon. By, but by someone who's, who's captured you and you are totally under their power. And they want to hurt you. And when Jesus would go throughout the cities and the villages and he would look at people and he would see the crowds, he would see people who are deeply, deeply suffering from a thousand different cuts because they're believing lies. Their whole life is founded on a lie. Everything outside of resting on Jesus alone is death. And you will cut yourself and you will be cut and you will flay other people the deeper you go into the religion of self. It doesn't matter what it is. If, you are, if, if someone is in an organized religion, and I you know, have so many friends who are, but in the end, it is about your performance. You've got to get it right. You've got to get it a, a lot more right than you get it wrong, and even then you don't have any hope, but you have to use people to get you into heaven if you're just a religious person. If you're an atheist, I... It's just a whole nother level in some ways of being harassed. And if that's where you are this morning, praise God you're here. Because this is an experience of heaven, as bizarre as that may sound. It really is because the truth of God, we've been speaking it back and forth. We've been singing, we've been praying, we've heard scripture, now a sermon. This is the voice of God speaking to us. And our voice speaks back to God and to one another. And that's very powerful. As Hal would say, our favorite bald pastor, you know, this is putting yourself on the railroad tracks of God's grace. You know, it's, it's, you're on the railroad tracks of God's grace. While the cat's away, the mice will play, right? <laughs> it's bad enough, verse 36, to be harassed. To have a life of being flayed, flayed, flayed. But to be helpless in it. To not be able to move. You can't make a single move towards God. Not a single anything towards God. In fact, it's very much true that we run in the opposite direction. With distractions, with pleasures, with hot... Anything to escape certain voices in our heads. Anything. Double death to be harassed, to be helpless. And if that's not enough, Jesus wants to add another thought, another, another facet to his vision of humanity. To be like a sheep without a shepherd. Now, I know Jill Brannon is here. Jill Brannon, is she here? Are you here? She is our authority on sheep and shepherds. 
what that culture is like. Now, Jesus is a bigger authority than Jill Brannon. But I will tell you what, to be a sheep without a shepherd is absolute disaster. Death is at any moment. You are alone. You have no hope. You are separated from community. You are left with yourself. And if it rains too much and you're a bit woolly, you are going to flip upside down and your legs are going to stick up in the sky and you will die that way from rain. And you have no defenses. So that is humanity. That is us. That is who lives in Southeast Asia. That's who's in Brazil. That's who's across the street. That's who's over at family housing where we live. That's wherever Clay and his merry band goes and plants a church somewhere around Athens. This is humanity. It's always humanity. And it will remain humanity. It will remain this nightmare unless Jesus comes and moves around the village. Because he's not some stoic, robot, statue of stone or wood or gold. He is not asleep. He's not forgetting about what humanity is like and looking at his iPhone to be entertained instead. He's filled with compassion. He's filled from the inside with just how broken everything is. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He's moved in just the just in his guts. He is hurting. Jesus, I believe, still is like this. He is he is human in his humanity is somewhere in another dimension. I do not understand that, but he is still fully human. And like he said to Saul on the road to Damascus, when you are hurting my people, that is my church, and you are hurting me. It's ultimately, I'm so united and connected, you're hurting me. So we are riding this morning on the compassion of Jesus Christ. Deeply real human with all the human emotions. And it's not just one way one day and one way the next the way we are. He's experienced all the voices just as we do. And it was his father's voice that continued to win. Even when Jesus was at his most un-shepherd-like experience and said, is there another way? There was no other way. And he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus came into the world with no exit strategy, no asterisks, no prenuptial agreement with the Holy Spirit and the Father, and no hooks. He came to save, and he did it with great compassion. Now, that's, that's verses 35 to 36. So, in just a few minutes, we're going to hit where we come into the story. This is the voice Now, I think I've got this somewhere. There's another little bit of Birdman I want to give you. 
This is when, this was the voice that seemed to win in the movie. This is the giveaway. Throughout the movie, Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton guy, would, you would see the Birdman in the costume and everything, and, and you would hear this voice speaking into his head. And here's part of what the, the Birdman character would say to Michael Keaton, because he's, he's trying to take hold of his identity. He's trying to direct his path in the course of his life. He's, go, he's taking him back to the past when Michael Keaton was Birdman, when he was on everybody's uh, uh, TV screen, movie screen. Uh, you had like a Birdman. If you were a guy, you had Birdman um, sheet and pillowcase and that kind of stuff, okay? So... Forget Broadway. So you're not a great actor. Who cares? You're much more than that. You tower over all these theater fools. You're a movie star, man. You're a global force. Don't you get it? You spend your life building a bank account and reputation, and you blew them both. Well, good for you. Well, make a comeback. They're waiting for something huge. Well, give it to them. Shave off that pathetic goatee. Get some surgery. 60's the new 30. Now, I like that voice right there. (laughs) 60's the new 30. You're the original. You paved the way for these other clowns. Give the people what they want. Old-fashioned apocalyptic porn. Birdman. The Phoenix Rises. A billion dollars worldwide guarantee. You're larger than life, man. You save people from their boring, miserable lives. You make them jump and laugh. People want blood. People want action. Not this talky, depressing, philosophical nonsense. When you screech, it'll explode into millions of eardrums. You'll glimmer on thousands of screens around the globe. Another blockbuster. You're a god. See? Gravity doesn't even apply to you. And so it goes. And I will remain a campus minister and not a Broadway actor. But there are voices speaking to you and to me, and they're shapers. They're calling. They're trying to take you in some God-awful direction. That's us, rescued by Jesus. The world out there? Well, media tells us what's going on with the world out there. And, it, and you know, and it's, it's, it's very much hard hard, hard in Athens. It's very much hard in the world. It's time of death. It just feels like a time of death. And it's, it's brought on by people being governed by certain voices, demonic or not. Certainly lies, and all lies find their home with the devil. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in the harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, When Jesus spoke these words, there were 250 million people roughly in the world. According to somebody at Emory University, there were 250 million people. And at that point, the world experienced a tremendous explosion in its population. That's interesting. Interesting timing of that explosion. Today, in the world, there are about... 700 million, 800, uh, no, sorry, 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 7 or 8 billion people, 7 or 8 billion people, 7 or 8 billion images of God, 7 or 8 billion people 
hearing voices, living their life out of voices. I guess I've heard all kinds of numbers, 3.2 billion Christians. So if you think about that, that's, you know, we're getting close to half the world's population, if not there. And I, you know, I keep hearing there are 100 million Christians in China now, and wouldn't Mao Zedong turn over in his grave that his voice is not dominating that nation anymore? Unbelievable. So it's not, this is not a passage to beat you up. Christians have prayed. Christians have prayed earnestly. I know you're praying earnestly. And God has raised up laborers. I don't, you know, is it few? Well, from my little neck of the woods in God's kingdom, it feels like few. I would love to see more international campus ministers. I I guess when you go to where Allison, where Matt, whatever your name is, Matt and Bettina, (laughs) where they go, it's few. It's always few. And there is, there's just an incredible amount of people that God is continually gathering together. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, you know, you think of heaven as like a place where, well, the new earth, heaven's the new earth, and you have people that number more than the sands of the, sea, sands of the seashore. Personally, I don't think we're there yet. Jesus may not come back for a million years. This prayer of Jesus, this call to pray is on us. It's on us to take it all in to take up these voices that we're hearing in Matthew 9 and throw it back to God. To overwhelm us with the need, whether it's the staggering numbers of people and their brokenness and their spiritual situation and our our absolute inability to do anything about it except to pray. And God will send out harvest workers into the field. He really will. Will you continue to pray? Add your voice to the Father's experience, and he will send out workers into the field. And I'll tell you, it may be as a slave. It may be as an English language teacher. It may be as a scientist. But I'll just just, uh, say this to you. I know that you're hearing voices. I know that you're following a voice. I know you're being pulled in many directions. May Jesus speak and speak, and speak. And may he send you out to speak, and to speak. But think about your life. Think about your family, your business, your resources, your children, your grandchildren. Pray earnestly to the Lord the harvest. Because the harvest is big. And there is a lot of work to do. And over it and under it are three words from heaven. I love you. And whatever God does with us, with your prayers, with your giving, and if you're going out there, I mean, whatever God does, something else Jesus said, it's awesome to see lives changed. But the greatest thing in the world is that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And as one of the best, well, best is a funny word, as one of the most faithful missionaries to part of the world where Matt has been and where Matt and Bettina are going, his life verse was, may the love of God grow from Ephesians 3, that the love of God would be wider and 
and longer and higher and deeper than anything else. Not about what's done, not about how many people are saved, but about knowing the love of God. So let's pray, and then God's going to speak to us at the table. But um, we're in the harvest, so let's pray. Jesus, you have come into the, the, the village of Athens and wandered around. And you're at work speaking to people from every aspect of Athens' life, from our little cosmopolitan bubble in the south, and where we have people from around the world. And you're, you've also made us a place of, of sending. You've sent, I, who knows how many people you've sent into the church, into occupations to be your servant. So keep speaking your voice, your call. Uh, we pray that you would raise up more people to go. Here or far, that's up to you. We just pray that you would raise up people. What a, what a privilege to be a Sunday school teacher in this church. What a privilege to work among the youth. What a privilege to be on the campus. What a privilege to go to, I mean, we don't endorse products here, Lord, but to go to some restaurant or go get a cup of coffee. What a privilege to be around people. Please help us to see people. And just all the terrible terrible realities of people, that you would fill us with your compassion, that you would fill us with earnest prayer, and and like you did in the next chapter in Matthew 10, send people out. We are at your service, Lord, because you've washed us whiter than snow, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If uh, the elders would come forward to...